I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found check battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Chasing Tales Outdoors. I am your host, Walt, and thank you for tuning in this week. If you are new to the show, this podcast hopefully is unlike anything you've ever seen before. It's going to be groundbreaking, and it's going to totally ruin all other outdoor podcasts for you. (laughs) It's not really our goal, but I do hope you enjoy (laughs) your time while you're here. And in case you haven't noticed, we like to have a good time. Obviously, I'm taking shots at other podcasts. Uh, But I am joined by my co-host, Chase, from the other side of... Of Florida, and together we talk to people hunting, fishing, general outdoors. We do cover it all, and we try and bring you inspiring and encouraging stories and adventures and tips from those people who have experiences that you might benefit from. This week's episode was a hoot to record. I'm probably going to try and keep this intro short, so I'm going to throw it to you, Chase. Kind of give everybody a brief update. What's good in your world? What are you seeing? What are you doing? What, what's up? Oh, man, I am doing all kinds of stuff right now. Uh, The Florida season, or at least in my area, is coming to an end in a little less than two weeks. Uh, I'm still on the grind, uh, still trying to – I technically have two tags left, um, but I'm trying to fill one more tag here in my zone, and I'm saving one because I'm coming up on a hunt with you at the uh, end of January because your area will still be kicking off. Uh, I've been doing some saltwater fishing. Uh, here recently, went out and caught a bunch of reds, caught some trout, caught some black drum, sheephead, uh, all those things. Uh, it was kind of, I was trying to do it as a twofold thing. I was trying to get out, uh, catch some fish and I was trying to scout for some, uh, coastal ducks, but it was so foggy and the, the conditions were just not great <laughs> for getting out and scouting for birds. <laughs> uh, but at least the fishing was good. So that was great. And, uh, I, I'm, I got a buddy who's a big duck hunter. Uh, so I've been going out with him a little bit, duck hunting and doing some uh, scouting at some local lakes. So that's that's what I've been up to uh, these these last couple of weeks. It seems like it's been forever since we've recorded a podcast. Uh, we've we've had some people where they they just couldn't do it uh, in in some of the times. So we hadn't put any podcast out, but we're gonna get back at it. Uh, we've got uh, pretty much a full lineup uh, coming out. So I'm looking forward to uh, doing some of those podcasts. And uh, then um, once this season's over, then it'll be uh, scouting for next season. So uh, that's where I'm at. Uh, where are you at, bud? Dude, I'm, I am – the rut is just starting to get spicy over here. I don't have the benefit you do right now of, 
of you know three tag three tags punched and your rut being passed due. So I can't even though I want to be out there saltwater fishing and doing stuff, uh, <laughs> I've got to stay focused. And uh, my my rut is just starting to kick off right here near the house. And in about four weeks, it'll start to get spicy just across the river to my west. So I've got a bunch of hunting to go. Probably my rut will extend through, I was looking at the rut map, probably early February. So between now and early February, mid, like, I don't know, the first third of February, I'm probably going to be grinding pretty hard for whitetails. But, uh, you know, tonight's podcast actually kind of gave me the boost that I needed it's been a long season, dude. You realize we've been hunting whitetails for over three months now. I mean, for I mean that's almost oh, four yeah. months for you, right? Yeah, yeah, since uh, September sixteenth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot it of late nights, a lot of early mornings. Been a grind for sure. Yeah, uh, the the beginning of the season kicked off hot, <laughs> and then seems like the last oh, a month and a half here, it's definitely been a grind, which it, it normally is <laughs> once you get yeah. to that point yeah. of the season. There been oh, pressured yeah. for three months. Uh, I don't expect anything less, but I'm still getting after it. Um, right. and, and I think the persistence a lot of times when all the other guys have given up and are at home and watching football or doing a lot of those things uh, when they could still be out scouting or a late season seems to be, it can be a good time because the deer are, have actually kind of gotten back to where they're not as pressured because there's not as many people right. out in the woods. Um, so I always try to uh, stick it out, stay on course, because uh, you never know what could happen uh, towards the end of the season. So I, I'm all about it. And like you said, I after listening to um, Andy talk, who was on the podcast, uh, it's it still, I was just like, whoa, I'm, I'm pumped now. I'm ready to go, ready to rock and roll. <laughs> Let me use some of these things um, <laughs> yeah. and tactics. And, he, I mean, he just he dove into a little bit of it with the time that we had. Um, hopefully we can get him back on, uh, dive in a little bit more. But I think everybody will definitely get something from this podcast and uh, we'll be able to use uh, some of the tactics and things that that he's doing and hopefully find some success. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I I won't lie to you. It's been a little difficult with the, with the holiday travels with the, with three months of, of, of hunting and getting up early. I've been struggling, but you know, a couple things occurred to me. One, I got to the, to the woods kind of late the other day and there weren't a whole lot of people there. And this was a freaking special opportunity to hunt and I was like one of the only people there at three o'clock. And that's just, it's absurd. And I think that that just goes to show a lot of other people are getting burned out, even though the rut is coming up. And, you know, then you have Andy sit here and just like, I told you before, before, before we started this intro, it was one of those things where I was struggling to be a host because he was like connecting all these dots for me, dude. Like it was, he would say things and be like, you know, I do this here and this there and it produces this result. And I'm like, Oh, I saw that there one time. And I remember this over here. And it's, it's like, it, it was really cool. It was like, he pulled a, 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 one end of a string that was all knotted up and the string just started to straighten out for you. You know, it was just the, the, the puzzle started to unravel a little bit. And so, I had to remind myself that I, I have the privilege of editing uh, and then playing this episode at any point in time. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, I, I put on my hosting hat, and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to this as much as you guys are right now. So I say we keep this kind of short and sweet to the point. Let's thank the people who make this, pod, this podcast possible. All right. Well, first, we need to thank uh, Tethered. Uh, you and I are both using the Tethered system. I think they got something special coming out at ATA for everybody to uh, ooh and ah over. And one of the things that we never really dove in with uh, Andy <laughs> was, because uh, I know he's using a saddle yeah. now, uh, he, he uses a, a, the Tethered 
uh, setup. So I, it's been, I've had success with it. You've had success with it. So go out, check out uh, Tethered. You can find them online at www.tetherednation.com. And you can pretty much pick up all of your saddle hunting needs there. Absolutely. And then, of course, we have to make the people who contribute to this show on a monthly basis, and that's you, our loyal Patreon subscribers. Thank you for tuning in every week and then choosing to financially support this podcast. And if you're listening to this and you think, God, what is this Patreon he's talking about? It's a monthly subscription that you can choose to support the show with a monthly contribution. It's that simple. You sign up, you pick either the 2 5 or $10 tier. Each tier comes with additional benefits. We post exclusive content over there. Uh, very soon we're going to be able to do live videos now that I've got internet being ran to the house. There's a whole lot of extras that come in play, and including in that are quarterly giveaways. And I've got we've got some new tethered gear that we're going to announce here shortly for the quarter one giveaway I'm super excited about. And on the next week's episode, we are going to announce the winner of last quarter's giveaway, which was... Tailwind Puffy Jacket, which is a $200 puffy insulative hoodie from Fleet. Chase and I have been running Fleet uh, off and on all year, actually, and I'm, I'm falling in love with, with several of the items that, that, that I have. And we're also giving away two Havilon Peranta knives. These are the, the knives with the re- replaceable blade. They pack down real tight. And I'm going to be doing a gear review and posting that gear review first to Patreon as well. So you've got three chances to win just from the, the last quarter. And this upcoming quarter, you're going to be able to get another probably three or four chances to win as well. So check us out. The link is in the show notes below. But if you're just if you're sitting there with your fingers on the keyboard ready to go, it's Patreon, P-A-T-R oen.com forward slash chasing tales outdoors give it a look check it out and uh hopefully you you feel like contributing to the show all that money goes right into camera gear operating costs and uh, we're we're growing chasing tales with your contribution so i think with that chase we've covered all of our bases let's let them listen to the pro himself andy may let's do it Well, guys, we are here with a guest that I have been looking forward to for several weeks. Y'all know I look forward to every episode. That's the honest to God's truth. But this one is one that I think is going to be really interesting, one that's going to be uh, really fun. And uh, we're going to be talking to Andy May today. He is on the line. Andy, I know your season has just ended. How how are you feeling, dude? Uh, You know, it it was a a long season. I started started early, early September in Kentucky, and – shot my first deer um second day of the season of kentucky uh right you know right after the opener and then just shot my last deer on january 1st which was the last day of michigan season so i've been at it for a few months and uh you know i'm ready to hang it up i'm uh had a had a good season a good fulfilling season and um now my daughter's starting basketball and i'm coaching that so all my focus is on that now that's awesome man so for the people who don't know who you are, kind of give everybody maybe like the brief summary of who, who Andy May is, where you hunt, and kind of how you got into hunting. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm Andy May, just a <laughs> just a regular guy. Um, nothing really special about me. Uh, you know, I don't have any TV shows or anything like that. I guess, um, you know, if if I'm known for anything in my small circle of friends is that, you know, I'm, I'm a DIY type hunter. Um, I, I hunt, I hunt basically whatever's available. Um, I just kind of, I've never went the route of like leases or, 
you know, anything like guided or anything like, uh, you know, soul access stuff. So I hunt a mix of, um, like permission, you know, private land close to home. Um, typically small acreage stuff, you know, anywhere from, you know, a couple acres to 30, 40 might be, uh, one of the bigger pieces. Um, and that's all shared property with usually with people I don't know. Um, there's a lot of hunting pressure here. Um, so I utilize everything. So I, I hunt a mix of that type of ground and then, and then public ground. Um, and then I also travel a lot, um, to different States and, you know, every, every year I seem to add another state to the mix and, um, you know, mostly Midwest stuff, but I've started to venture out, out West, um, as far as getting into hunting, um, it's kind of interesting and no, nobody in my family hunted. Um, in fact, I actually got into archery first when I was 18. Um, I had some cousins that got into hunting, uh, bow hunting, um, the year before, um, I started archery and they talked me into getting a bow and I actually just joined the archery league and kind of, kind of fell in love with archery first. Um, and just kind of became obsessed with it. I, I have a bit of an obsessive personality about certain <laughs> things and, um, I just got really good at archery really fast because I tried to learn a lot and I was, uh, you know, I was the type that was like, you know, I wasn't, I was kind of naturally pretty good, but, um, you know, I'm pretty competitive, you know, in nature. So I was like, you know, we were in this league and, you know, it's like, I, I wanted to, I wanted to win the league, you know what I mean? My first time shooting a bow and, and that was my goal. And I just practiced like nonstop and, became a pretty you know i guess i'd say an above average archer um and then you know people were just kept you know at the archery stop and they're like man you should you should bow hunt so i kind of transitioned into bow hunting um i didn't really have a mentor or anything like that i just uh you know networked with some friends you know you know like a buddy's buddy's parents own 10 acres here and you know this this guy's aunt owns 20 acres here and just kind of started bow hunting wherever I could and, um, killed a couple deer my first year. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I just became completely, you know, enthralled in it. And I just loved, I love the challenge. I love the lifestyle of it. And, you know, every year I've just kind of, my, my whole thing is, um, it's something I just, I just want to constantly work at to get better. And, um, I guess that's my goal. You know, as a hunter, I don't really care about bucks on the wall so much. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I love, I love shooting deer. I love shooting big deer. I love the challenge of it, but I, I really take a lot of pride in just, I just want to keep getting better at it. And it's nothing, you know, I'm not competing against another guy. I'm not trying to outdo the next guy, but it's important to me. Um, and it's just a goal of mine. I just put a lot of time and energy into it and, and, um, uh, that's kind of my goal is just to keep having new experiences, new adventures, and to just keep, just keep improving. What were, so as I'm always intrigued by this, but as someone who got into hunting late, who, what were your influences in the hunting world? Cause I know you said you didn't, I think you said you didn't have a mentor or any families, but that, you know, who did you read? Cause you didn't just, you know, stumble into the woods and start hunting. I'm, I'm sure. Well, um, or maybe you did, you know, I, I kind of did. <laughs> I kind of did. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, the more I got into it, you know, I started getting and like buying the magazines and stuff from the, you know, the, 
the stores and I'd read those articles and, you know, you see these big giant bucks by these guys. And, you know, I guess I read a lot of articles and, you know, I had a lot of trial and error. Um, but one thing I, I'll say that I think benefited me is I, I didn't have a mentor and I went into it um, kind of, I, I didn't have to really unlearn any, any mm. bad habits. A lot of my friends were taught by their, their dads and their grandpa hunted bait piles and, you know, hunted the same stand every year. And this was, you know, <laughs> this was the river stand and this is the swamp stand. And, you know, and so they just go to those places over and over and, and I have friends that, that still hunt that way. Um, and that's just the way they were taught. And that's the way that, you know, they hunted. I never hunted that way at all. I, I always really from day almost day one I was a mobile hunter um I had some sometimes I would set some preset stands you know I I I did a fair bit amount of that but um what I found was you know most of the time I was not in the right spot so what I started doing was just you know moving my stand constantly um with the observations that I saw so I right from the get-go without even knowing it I was moving into you know, closer to where deer lived, where they spent their daytime, didn't really have an understanding of, you know, they were, you know, bedded over here or, or traveling through here. It's just, I just kept moving based on observation and I ne- hardly ever sat in the same stance. Um, so I just kind of adopted that strategy early on and I didn't really have to unlearn any bad habits. I just constantly kept moving towards um, the movement I saw. And consequently, I think I, I learned a lot about deer. I learned a lot about, um, you know, mobile hunting and being aggressive and making mistakes early on. And, uh, you know, I think it just really helped me kind of develop my own style, I guess, and, and helped me achieve, I guess, what some might consider above average success early on. Yeah, I think because um, I, I myself as Chase, I started out late as well. Um, I didn't start hunting until I was 22 years old. Uh, my father-in-law kind of got me into it. And those first few years, like I said, I was kind of emulating what he was doing. Kind of like a lot of the you hunt the same stand a bunch or hunting over corn piles and things like that. And I wasn't getting that success that I thought I should be getting. And I kind of learned early on that the deer don't do the same thing the entire season. Like they're constantly moving around. People are planting things in certain areas. They're, they're making shifts throughout the season. And I kind of got mobile myself. I didn't even, I didn't have a mentor telling me I should be mobile. I just, I got a climber and then I just started moving around. And then all of a sudden I noticed, well, my deer sighting started going through the roof. And I was like, wow, I was like this, it was kind of like an aha moment of, okay, if I want to get better at this, then I'm going to continually have to adapt and make those changes and try to figure out uh, what these deer are doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of same here. You know, like you kind of, you kind of start move, hunting mobile and moving in on deer when you see them. And what, what, what happens is, you know, you go in and you push the envelope a little bit, you go in and you bump some deer. Well, when you do that the first time you learn, okay, Hey, I went a little too far. You know, so the next time you do it, you, you maybe, uh, you know, you're a little less aggressive and set up a little further back and maybe next time, you know, you're just out of the game a little bit, you're you set up a little too far away. So by being aggressive early, um, 
I really learned to kind of fine tune like my setups and my approaches and my access because I made all those mistakes like early on of being too aggressive, not too aggressive, you know, moving in too far and bumping the deer. You know, I, I, I made so many mistakes early on that you kind of develop uh, a feel of where you need to be. And now I feel like I'm kind of at a place where I can quickly recognize, um, quickly recognize that, you know, the majority of the time, not saying I don't make mistakes. I, I certainly do, but, um, I feel like more times than not, I I get a good feel for where I need to be and, um, tend to pick, you know, the correct setup a lot more often. Right. Well, how, how did you meet, uh, Mark Kenyon? Cause I think that's kind of how everybody probably knows who you are at this point from the wired to hunt podcast. How did all that come about? So Mark, um, Mark, Mark and I live uh, pretty close to each other. We're in the same part of Michigan, Southern Michigan. I'm trying to think how we met. Um, I guess you know how the, you know how the hunting community is, you know, word of mouth spreads, you know, when someone, I guess, achieves above average success in an area that most people don't, you know, people talk, right. And, And people find out and, um, you know, you try to you try to kind of keep it low key and secretive, but it just it's just the way it happens. It's, you know, Michigan's a Michigan's a tough state. Um, we have we have quality hunting. Don't get me wrong, and don't let anyone fool you. We we have good hunting. We have deer. We have deer, and we have some nice deer. But to shoot mature bucks is uh, is very difficult. The most difficult of any state I've hunted, um, and that's the honest truth. I'm sure there's harder. I, I know there's harder <laughs> out there. Um, I know it. I'm not saying it's just, the, it's the hardest I've hunted. Um, right. So, um, and you know, I had, I was having some success and, you know, you share some photos here and there and you're down at the archer shop and people start talking. And then I think I, if I remember right, Mark caught wind of that and uh, we got to chatting and then he did an article. He, he did an article, something along the lines of like regular Joe's, you know, having TV type success or something along those lines. But basically it was an article about regular guys that are hunting pressured land and, but shooting bucks that look like TV bucks, you know, it was something, something kind of weird like that. But, yeah. uh, so we got to talk in and, and, you know, he had just kind of heard some of the success and we got to know each other kind of that way. And, um, you know, for you, it was funny because we became kind of buddies and he asked me, I mean, he must've asked me for two years to be on his podcast. And I just kept saying, <laughs> no, no way, man. I'm not, there's no way I'm going to talk about myself <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> it's just, this is not, it's not my, uh, it's not my way. It's not my personality. And I'm like, who in the, you know, who in the world wants to just hear me talk about myself? I said, if you want to talk about hunting, fine. I like to do that, but I don't want to talk about me. Um, but he was, he was persistent and we became, you know, better friends and, and got to the point where I was like, all right, this guy's my buddy. He's asking me, I, I feel like, I feel like I should do it to help him out. Cause he's, you know, he's working hard at it. And so, uh, I did that and it was very awkward. I mean, podcasts are still very, very difficult and awkward for me. Um, but I did it and I've done a few now since with them and we've become good buddies. I'm getting a little more comfortable with it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how I met Mark. 
through things like podcasts. That's how Chase and I actually end up getting hooked up. Um, Mark's uh, good buddy, Dan, yep. uh, Chase was on that podcast. I was on that podcast and we saw a post about Florida hunters and we just started talking, you know, and here we are, you know, five years later, it's our anniversary, you know? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> but, uh, so let's talk a little bit about your season. Cause you had a pretty special season this year. How, how many, how many big animals? I, I, I was going to say trophy, but I don't know how you quantify a trophy because it seems like your, your goal isn't necessarily for antlers so much as it is, it is the pursuits, but how many successful hunts did you have this year? So, um, early September, I went down to Kentucky for the opener. Um, I had four days, I think three or four days to devote to that. And I shot a nice buck down there on day two, um, observed him, uh, the day before the season moved in on him, uh, the opener wind got a little squirrely. He got alerted. And then I adjusted on night two to, uh, an area where I thought he, he might travel through and I just made the right call. Um, put a good shot on him so that was that was the first one there in kentucky um next was where was next um ohio next was ohio um again that was another early season kill this one was a little different um i'll just give you i'll give you the quick version of these um and if you want to dive into one more than the other uh, go ahead but i can make them quick but ohio was uh uh, Northern Ohio, open farm country, um, the, flat as a pancake, hardly any woods, very difficult hunting. Um, most of the bucks get shot during gun season. Um, it's just one of those areas where it's really hard for deer to survive because there's no cover. Um, the woodlots range from, you know, an acre to five acres. That'd be a big piece of cover. And then there's like little ditches and little ditches, uh, you know, and swales and stuff like that. But it's, it's, there's sometimes miles without woods. Um, it's, it's very open and it's not CRP ground. Like you'd think like Kansas, it's very, um, high quality farming ground. So the farmers are aggressive. They get their crops in early, you know, out early. And, um, it's, it's a very difficult place. Um, I've had good success there, um, with, with glassing because it is so open And this buck in particular. Um, I glassed a few times, um, spent a few days driving down there before work, um, and kind of glassed him a couple of consecutive days and, and saw him going into this tiny woodlot. And then I set up on him. Um, the first time I got uh, wind, it was October. Oh, October 9th was the first time I hunted him. And then, um, didn't get it done that day, but saw what he did and adjusted the next day and, uh, ended up getting an arrow in him on October 10th. So that was number two. Um, number three was actually out West in Nebraska, um, a mule deer. Um, I don't know, you guys probably don't focus on Western stuff too much, but that was kind of your typical, um, spend a lot of time, hours and hours and hours glassing and, um, just trying to spot a, a mule deer. Um, it, it, it's a fun hunt, challenging in, in that, um, mule deer live in places that are kind of tricky to get in close to them, but. They're not nearly as cagey as a, as a pressured whitetail. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, so don't let those Western guys fool you. I mean, mule deer, are, <laughs> mule deer are, are, they're, they're fun, but the, the hard part is, is just 
getting close uh, and finding them and, and often in, off in the terrain. But uh, once you get in tight with them, I mean, <laughs> you can you can get a shot off. <laughs> That's good so, to know. Uh, yeah. Shots <laughs> fired. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's just crazy. But, uh, yeah, uh, you compare that to a, um, a pressured whitetail. I mean, it's, a, it's like a, a completely different animal. I mean, completely different. You know, you get away with things that you would never do with a, a pressured whitetail. Um, and then that, that was three. So that then takes me to my Michigan buck. Um, I shot him late October and this is a buck, uh, on a small, very small piece of private land that gets hunted by another guy. Um, and this is a buck I, I knew about. So I had a little bit of history with him in the fact that I just, I saw him last year. I had an opportunity with him last year as a three-year-old and I, I chose to let him go just hoping I try not to shoot three-year-olds in Michigan anymore. It's a, it, it's a, it's a, a heck of a deer to shoot in Michigan, a three-year-old buck. It's, it's very difficult. Um, I have, I have easier success on four and five-year-old bucks in other states than I do on three-year-olds in Michigan, but I still try to, I still try to kind of hit that age of four. I'm not like super strict with it, but usually if I do my homework, I can find one that age, at least one. Um, so, but this buck, you know, I passed him just kind of praying, you know, hoping he'd make it. And, and he did, and he, he turned into a, a beautiful 10 point. Um, and so, you know, I caught up with him late October and, uh, traditionally, um, historically the last, uh, well, last year, the year I didn't really identify him as a two-year-old, but at three, um, what I noticed is that he really started using that area late October. And we can get into it a little more later, but that's one of the things I key in on is when individual bucks use certain areas. And I find often that they do that. Uh, they, they keep that yearly pattern in certain areas and you can, you can almost count on it. Um, so I started hunting him late October, which is when he got active last year um, in that area. And it was the first, first time in first sit in and on a, a little Island coming off of bedding. And I, I got an arrow into him and, made a good shot and he went down um so then that takes me to was that that's number four um and then uh the last buck was uh was maryland um and i shot that uh late december um i got a buddy that lives in maryland and he he hunts some suburban spots you know on kind of the uh, kind of outside the outside of the city um there's there's some public areas there that um i've hunted in the past and he was doing a lot of scouting he's a hardcore guy just like us and he was doing a lot of scouting and he was glassing a, a winter wheat field coming out of one of the the bow only areas and he said man there's a lot of deer piling in here and there's some you know some good racks i'm seeing some good racks so i made the trip down there and uh hunted that area and um saw the deer that i eventually shot on the first uh on this, yes first evening first evening i saw him um didn't get it done got busted by another deer um uh, made an adjustment on day two and uh the deer that i saw the deer that i ended up shooting he made it uh took a different route and then um ended up adjusting on day three and caught up with him on that other route. So I, I got an arrow in him on day three. So it was, it was pretty unique. Um, they're all, you know, all kind of different styles, different times of the year and uh, different strategies. But um, I mean, it was a good year. They don't, definitely don't all happen like that, but um, I seem to get into them um, this year pretty good and made the right call and had some luck. 
yeah, uh, that's sounds a, like that's, it. that's a great season. Good lord, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it. Really good season. Well, you mentioned, like you said, you mentioned that Michigan was it's like a it's a super hard state. You got a bunch of pressure, all of that. So when you were talking about killing your buck, like h- how do you how do you make a plan, uh, like a, an initial attack plan on a deer? Because apparently you located this deer. So h- how do you even locate these mature bucks in Michigan? Um, well, I use a variety of ways. Um, you know, th- so I would say I have, you know, I'd say I have a handful, maybe uh, m- maybe more like six to seven pieces of private land that I can hunt um again very pressured um and very difficult uh you know in in my opinion like I I know there's a lot of guys out there and and public land is the real you know kind of in thing right now and and don't get me wrong I love hunting public I do and it's certainly challenging but when you get when you're hunting uh you know permission private land that's small acreage and you have another guy, two guys, three guys, four guys, something like that on 30 acres, 20 acres, 50 acres. It's, it's really pressured. And, um, I take what I can get in Michigan because it's really hard to, uh, to find a good deer. So I utilize all resources. If I can get permission on an acre, I check it out. If I can get permission on 50 acres with 10 guys, I check it out. Um, I utilize the public land that's close and, um, you know, I try, what I try to do, um, because I work in a school, um, it doesn't, it's not real conducive to traveling and hunting for long periods of time being gone. Cause we don't technically get vacation time during hunting season. So I have to do like weekends, long weekends, you know, call in sick a lot. during. <laughs> I, get, I, get, I get more colds during October and November than I know what it is. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, when I travel, it's got to be those weekends. But in Michigan, what, what does work in my favor is that I can get out after work, especially at, before the time change. You know, I can get out, you know, most evenings if I want to. Um, so what I try to do is I try to have, I tried to build opportunities close to work, close to home so that I can get out more often and, um, you know, kind of focus on those areas somewhat, um, keep tabs on them, be able to scout them more often, be able to scout on my lunch, be able to check cameras on my lunch, be able to glass before work, be able to glass, you know, right before dark, those types of things. Now, this these might not be in the best areas for trophy deer um i you know i might be able to get into some bigger bucks you know an hour or half an hour or, you know away but but these close right. these close opportunities allow me to hunt more often and get more intimate with the areas i'm hunting and if i put enough feelers out there if i do my job scouting and i do i'm pretty diligent about you know trying to locate you know, four-year-old deer or older, I can usually find some good ones kind of living under people's noses. It just takes, it just takes more time. The area I'm in is, is really high pressure. Four-year-old buck, you know, it's, it's just really hard for me to find. It takes a lot of time for me to find one. Um, and some years I, some years there's, I don't find one, you know, there's, it's, you know, and then you, you just hunt the best that you can find. So, um, that's been a key thing um is is being able to build some opportunities 
around home, you know, and utilize everything that includes public, that includes permission private. And, you know, it's funny, like some of the, the private pieces I hunt are, you know, you get 15 acres and you got three guys on there. You're like, why would I bother? You know, why would I even bother with that? I'm trying to kill a four year old buck on 15 acres and there's three other guys out there. But I'm telling you, sometimes you just, you just need that one spot, you know, that one spot where that deer is just cutting that corner or that one spot where, you know, when those guys are out there, it forces, you know, the buck to this, this one corner of the river bottom or something. And, you know, I've had, I've found success in that. It's, uh, but it's a constant, it's a constant changing and it needs constant monitoring. I don't ever have a property that just produces every year. I don't, they they almost always come off different places, new places, um, or, you know, a spot that, you know, maybe I did kill one there in 2012 or something. And, you know, now there's a good one here in 2018, but you know, it's, it takes constant monitoring and, and a lot of searching to find the buck that I'm after. I don't, there's no like honey holes, I guess I should say, you know what I mean? Right. right. But as far as locating them, I utilize, I utilize all methods. I glass like a madman. I run cameras. I look for tracks and I look for, you know, I get on the ground in season scouting, looking for hot sign. Um, so, you know, I, I utilize all those methods because I have to, um, some spots are more open. It's more advantageous for me to glass. Um, some spots are more thick. It's more advantageous for me to run a camera and kind of, you know, stay out. Some, some are more, you know, broken up, you know, farm kind of river bottom ground. Sometimes those areas it's, it's advantageous for me to walk the edges, scout the perimeter and look for big mature buck tracks. So I, I utilize it all. Um, you know, and that's, that's one thing I can say about myself. I'm, I'm relentless with my scouting. I scout a lot. I scout year round. Um, and you know, I love it. I love it just as much as hunting and I love figuring out new pieces. Um, and and just that challenge of, you know, finding a new area and trying to, trying to pull a good buck out of there. But, um, in Michigan, it's, it's definitely challenging. Um, I think, I think mature deer are hard everywhere. Um, Michigan, it's just hard to get them to that age. That's, that's all it is. And then it's just hard competing with all the people. I know, you know, hunting in the swamps of Florida or Georgia or Louisiana, I know that that, that stuff is hard. You know, I haven't done it, but I don't, I wouldn't want to trade, but, um, <laughs> but uh, you're not taking my offer from earlier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the, the challenging here is just, is just beating the gauntlet of so many hunters i mean it is it's ridiculous like you drive down the road in some of these this farm country and you see box blind after box blind on top of each other and tree stand after tree stand and it's just i mean it's it's crazy and it's a, a miracle that anything makes it but we do have deer and you know shooting a, a year and a half even a two-year-old you know some of those two-year-olds look nice 100 110 inches with nice deer you can shoot those here um, with a little bit of effort, um, you can shoot those here, but those four year old deer are, are four and older are really rare, really rare. Well, that, that makes sense. I mean, I, I kind of use the, a lot of the same approach that you use, uh, as far as the, the scouting. Cause I feel like the, the scouting is what kind of gets you there. Almost. I scout probably more than I hunt. Uh, I would go to say, cause I, with my job, it's pretty flexible. Uh, I work as a firefighter, so I get, I work one day, I get two days off. <laughs> so I spend a lot of that time 
uh, scouting more probably than I do hunting. And even if, like I said, if I've got time in the morning before work to go out and glass a field or something like that, I'm going to do it because I know that is what may pay off in the end and helping me maybe either locating a mature buck or if I've got one located, trying to figure out what that mature buck's doing. And Florida's kind of the same way. I mean, they're, uh, I would say we probably have some mature bucks, but it's kind of hard to tell sometimes. You really got to go on, like, body size and stuff because a lot of places the genetics just aren't there. I mean, there's certain places that, I mean, an 80-inch deer (laughs) might be a four-year-old. You know what I mean? But we've also got places I'm lucky to hunt in one of the uh, bigger buck counties in the state where they can get up into that 130, 140, even, shoot, we, we have guys that kill 150 class deer uh, in, in certain areas. There's not a lot. I mean, definitely not a lot. Like the top deer for the state might go 150, 160 for the year. Um, and then you'll get a lot, you'll have some guys, but it's, it is kind of in pockets. Like there's pockets around the state that, that have that kind of genetic and they can get to that potential, but our deer bag limits have been so high for so long that you could just slay deer. So it was just hard to get people to buy into passing on bucks to begin with when they could go out and kill two bucks a day every day for the season. Uh, luckily now our state just instituted you have is five bucks for the entire season, which is still pretty <laughs> darn high. Yeah. You could kill, you kill five bucks or you kill three bucks and two does um, is what, is what our state is. Um, but it's like I said, even here, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of locate that like big mature buck. Um, and like I said, I even have years, like like you were mentioning, like the, you just, I can't find a big mature buck, uh, whether through scouting, on camera, uh, sitting for hours on end, uh, all over the place trying to find one. And then every now and then there's a year where you may pop up where you've got this giant on your property <laughs> and, and you're trying to figure him out. So I, I, I love that process and your approach to kind of, how how you're doing things to get it done in, in a highly pressured state like Michigan. Yeah, I can imagine that's really tricky down there and it, you know, I'd like to uh you know, I'd like to try something like that down the road, especially after watching Adrian do that. He was kind of showing me pictures and it just looks like a it's just it's just a new challenge, you know, and to me it's like I don't even care if I would, you know, kill a mature buck or not, but I I love the challenge of new areas and you know, I'm one of those guys that, you know, I realize, you know, we're all, you know, we all have different opportunities. We all come from different areas. I know that an 80, 100 inch, 110 inch buck out of Florida is a slammer. You know, I know that. And uh, I think any hunter that's really, you know, worth anything realizes that, you know, and guys from Michigan, you know, we see, we're so used to seeing these big giants, you know, everybody, you know, all these you know, all these guys that are, I guess, are considered experts and big buck killers. I mean, you look, they're all from Iowa. They're all from Illinois. They're all from Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. or Kansas. I mean, all, I mean, and, and right. uh, you don't, you don't. So, I mean, I guess that's my way of saying like, you know, I, I totally, I saw that buck that, uh, you know, Adrian killed in Mississippi and, you know, by Iowa standards, you wouldn't even bat an eye at, it. but I know that that's, a big old mature deer and that's a big mm-hmm. a big boy for that area and i see there's a guy on the hunting beast um i don't know his real name but i've talked to him plenty of times but uh his name his screen name is pk and he kills great bucks out of florida i mean he's just a killer and 
you know, 115, 100 inch, 125 inch. And I'm just like blown away by this guy because I know where he's hunting and I know the difficulty of it. So, you know, we all have different opportunities and it's sometimes it's a tough pill to swallow when you're in a, a difficult state. And you see these guys in Iowa just <laughs> knocking down 160s and then they're, 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 their wife and their kid are knocking down, you know, 170s. And you're like, okay, there's you know, a, little, a little different there, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm looking for, I'm, I'm hoping to draw uh, Iowa this next year. I'll have, I've got four preference points now, <laughs> but I'm like, what am I going to do in Iowa? <laughs> like this, this Mecca, I'm just be like, okay, don't shoot the first 130, 140 class <laughs> that walks out in front of you. You really gotta, you gotta hold yourself back. I mean, the last time I drew, I, I'll draw next year as well. But the last time I went was a few years ago. And, um, in the first half an hour of the first day i saw three deer over 140 Good God. and i saw uh, this nine point that had to be the biggest one that i saw was you know he's he's definitely high 150s low 160s type deer i mean the first half hour now, <laughs> <laughs> right it's like that every time but like, no. i just saw three deer in the first half hour bigger than i saw the last two three seasons in michigan completely the whole season mm. You know, so it's, it, it's, it's, it's a different world, man. It's just, but it's fun. And those places are fun to go to. And, um, you know, I, I absolutely love hunting Iowa and I love hunting Kentucky and I love hunting, um, Ohio and they all, they all have their own set of challenges, but, um, you know, coming from a pressured area, you know, I think, and what you guys are experiencing and guys from New York and guys from Pennsylvania and Michigan and everything. I think it really suits them well to come from an area like this when, when you travel to some of these states that have, you know, more opportunity and more mature deer, it, it, it does make it feel easier. You know, it really does because you're used to taking the precautions and, and, you know, maybe being a little, a little more aggressive and, um, you know, I, I guess just kind of, uh, I guess I would describe it as, as hunting at a little bit of a higher level um to, to to get onto nice mature deer in those pressured states and then you travel to a, a state with a little less pressure it's just i don't know it just it just feels easier and not calling it easy by any means but um it's a it's just a different ball game you know what i mean oh yeah no doubt i mean i went out to kansas probably three years ago <laughs> with a buddy and of course i like the first night i shoot like a 120 inch eight point for which is a probably a two and a half year old in uh kansas because uh, i mean i'd never shot anything that big with my bow especially being down here from florida luckily this year i finally <laughs> surpassed that uh with a buck that i shot with my bow but it i just went in kind of aggressive first night call, grunt called to the deer he came in and that that doesn't really happen in florida <laughs> to, to grunt call to deer and then come in they're more spooked by it than anything else came in and I shot, I was like, Oh, well, I guess I just, uh, I'm done here in uh, Kansas because you only get one buck, but it was just one of those. Things. I was like, man. And I actually, I mean, I probably, I, I hunted cause I was hunting with a buddy and we were slated to stay there for six, six days. So, and I saw some, uh, probably 135, 140 class, uh, throughout the hunt. And uh, I was like, well, I guess I should, <laughs> I guess I should have held on to uh, that tag. But like I said, up until that point, I, 120 inch with a bow was 
something like, oh my goodness, uh, I finally killed something this big with my bow. So, but yeah, it was definitely, I definitely felt like it was, I'm not like, so maybe easier. It's probably easier for us or something coming from a state where we just don't see, um, a lot of deer, even of that, of, of that quality. So, um, I can definitely see where you're coming from. And as far as it's not as hard. I think what it is too, is there's just more mature deer running around. Um, the, right. the mature deer definitely behave a little different, um, you know, because there is less pressure, but there's just more of them around. You're seeing them more. So, you know, whether it's really easier or not, I don't know, but there's definitely more, right. more of the type of deer that you kind of are looking for, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Because they're the bag limits. I mean, they, you, they get one buck in Kansas and they're done. I mean, like I said, down here, it's five. So um, there's probably going to be more roaming around. And they have a tag system, and not a lot of people from out of state necessarily can come hunt those, especially Iowa. I mean, they only have let, what, it's like a 1,000-something people from out of state come hunt the whole state for the season. So I'm sure that definitely helps out. So I'm, I'm curious. You know, you said earlier a lot of things that, that I, like, I tried to grab them and, and, like, pin the idea. But you said guys do their homework. And I – I just kind of want to dig into this a little bit because when I talked to Adrian, he said that he's never met someone who literally calls the shots. Like he says, I'm going to go in here, I'm going to do this, this is how it's going to unfold, and then it unfolds. So I kind of want to maybe pry into that a little further. When you're making a game plan, I mean, it sounds like you've got a pretty good idea for that deer's behavior up until that point, but then you you go on these these hunts that are only like four days. So is it is it are you finding that there's a particular skill set and a certain type of behavior that just seems to translate everywhere you go with like maybe small tweaks? I mean, obviously not asking for the, you know, the keys to the castle here, but I'm just curious, like, what are you looking for? Cause you got to eliminate a lot of places. Well, uh, let, I guess I'll, t- I'll let me, let me kind of explain it this way. Um, you know, you, you see, you talk to hunters that, you know, have certain styles, like, you know, certain guys are, you know, hunt, you know, hunt buck bedding and some guys are, you know, food plot guys. And, you know, some guys are more uh, kind of spot and stalk or some guys are, you know, mobile hunters or hunt travel routes, that sort of thing. I even know some guys that kill just unbelievable deer every year decoys. That's all they do all season long is decoys. So I think what I try to do um, is I try to be, very versatile i don't i don't i think my style is is a lot of a mix of a lot of different styles and and i think one of the things that helps me out and i don't i didn't even really realize this but people that i've hunted with have pointed it out um that when i go to hunt a new area i'm pretty good at figuring out what style i need to hunt kind of on the fly and 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 i'm uh or basically what style would be best suited for that situation um and i'm i'm a i'm a feel type hunter meaning and this is always a weird answer but i really go with my gut a lot and when going back to what we talked about before you know when you make the mistakes and stuff i've talked a little bit about this um on a couple hunting forums but you know i always recommend um, especially guys that are kind of, you know, wanting to learn or, or kind of maybe in the beginning stages of going after bigger deer, I always recommend being aggressive. Um, because by doing that, you push the limits, 
You know, you're going to make mistakes. Um, but what you're doing by this is you're going with your gut and you're being aggressive. I mean, if your gut tells you to back off, back off. If your gut tells you to go in, go in. But um, by doing that, by trusting your gut, what happens is when you trust your gut and you make a mistake or you're just off, that that instinct, that instinct you felt, that gut instinct you felt, it changes a little bit. You're like, okay, this is what I felt like I should have done, but it was I was off next time I need to do this. So your, your, your subconscious instinct just changes a little bit. So the next time your gut feeling is a little different, it's, it's to push in a little further, you know? And, 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 uh, so maybe that next time you, you push in a little too far and you bump that deer. Well, now your instinct develops a little bit differently and you start to get, you start to develop this, um, this instinct where your gut feeling is just becomes right more of the time because you keep making mistakes. And if you don't make those mistakes, you don't develop that. Does that make any sense? Sure. Okay. So, you know, I always recommend like just trusting your gut. If your gut says go in there and dive in, go do it. And if you blow the deer out, boom, you learn something. But if you sit back and you wait and you never really pushed and followed your instinct, you didn't really learn anything and you might miss out on that opportunity. But if you, if you push in, you might kill them. It might be the right call. Or you might push in and make the mistake, but then you just learn. So um, that's that's kind of one thing that I always try to tell guys to do. Um, as far as like traveling and uh, developing a game plan, you know, a lot of the areas I go to are areas I'm familiar with. Um, you know, for instance, like I hunt northern Ohio a lot. It's a piss piss poor area, <laughs> but I've learned <laughs> I've learned how to hunt it. And, you know, I put, if I put in my time um, and I've learned these certain spots, I talk about um, getting familiar with areas when they heat up, when the best time frame to hunt that area. Now, it might be it might be a whole farm I'm talking about, a whole piece of private farm. It might be a public swamp. It might be this river bottom piece where you have permission on 10 acres. Um, but what I what I find like over years, you know, running cameras, observation, hunting, certain areas are optimal at certain times of the year. There's, you know, unless you own a nice piece or have an exclusive lease that encompasses, you know, a certain deer's, you know, 365 days. Um, you know, I don't have anything like that. Most of the guys out there don't, you know, I'm, I relate more to the, I guess the average DIY type guy, but there's certain times of the year where these areas are optimal. I try to find that out. I try to determine that. And then that's when I hunt those spots. So I try to set up my season with areas that are optimal at the beginning of the season. And then I try to set up, uh, you know, my mid season with properties that are optimal that are mid season. I try to set, set up my rut or my pre rut and rut in areas that are optimal during that time. So like, for instance, there's some, uh, there's a, a spot in down in Northern Ohio. Anybody can hunt this. When the crops are up the first few days of the season, there is a, you know, there's a bachelor groups of bucks in there. And that is a great spot to hunt early on. Now, if I was like some of those guys that like they like to sit back until late October and the weather cools, if I did that and then hunted that place, I, I wouldn't see a single deer because the, the crops would be down. 
the woodlot, there's no reason for them to be in those woods, you know, when the, when the food's gone, but by scouting and hunting and running cameras and uh, glassing, I know that when there's corn and beans up in that area, that's a great spot to hunt early. I got a really, really high percentage chance of tagging one early in that area. Not a rut spot, not a late season spot at all. It's a early season spot. And I got other spots like, uh, there's this river bottom area that, um, that I hunt loaded, loaded with antlerless deer with does. Um, and you might get, a, you might get a, a year and a half, two year old buck in there kind of, you know, during October, you know, I could hunt that all October, just pounded. I could bounce around mobile doing whatever. There, there's, there's not going to be any mature deer there from my experience. Cause I've tried it. I've done it. I've, I've spent right. that time learning that, but come late October through mid November, they're cruising through there big time. So what do I do with that spot? I stay out of it. I let those does and whatever's living in there, just live in there and, and not get bothered and, and let them do their thing. And then when that spot heats up, I slide in and it usually doesn't take long for me to have an encounter with a good deer. And you know, it, it takes, it takes years to kind of learn this. Um, a really good strategy of learning this is just to, to put a, you know, if you're not sure, put a, put a couple cameras in an area and just let them soak all season. Don't ever touch them. Um, and you can, you can kind of learn a little bit um, using that. That's one of my favorite trail camera strategies is just to leave them the whole season and let them soak. Um, but then, you know, so, so that takes us to, you know, early season. I have, you know, two or three spots that can are very high percentage. You know, if I, if there's a good buck there that I can get a crack at one, and then we go into mid October, you know, what everybody calls the lull. It's like my favorite time of year. There's spots where I know big, big bucks gravitate towards in different areas during that time of year. That's when I hunt it. And then we go into to late October, you know, the pre-rut and there's these other areas that heat up And those areas that I hunted prior are like ghost towns. You know, and then there's there's better areas for, you know, those first two weeks of November. And then we you even go to late season. So I try to map out my whole season so that I have optimal hunts, you know, uh, really high percentage hunts in optimal areas for the timing of the year. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So it takes it takes time to develop that. And that's why I utilize all resources. I utilize all pieces of private i can get on it doesn't matter how pressured it is because what i find is yeah sometimes sometimes there's four or five guys hunting it they pound you know early season you know and then they're out there during the rut and then late season there's nobody you know and then then that's where that mature you know that might be when that mature buck slides in there you know from pressure so it just depends and it, it does take time to learn those spots um but i rely a lot on yearly timing in certain areas and i really try to figure out when when they are most optimal and that's when i hunt them and that's the only time i'll hunt them and it, it often if you if you get that really dialed in it often doesn't take very many sits to get a crack at one if uh you know if you're if you're pretty dialed in with your setups and you know your access is good and you're kind of smart about that but you know i've i've most of my deer are killed on that first time in not all of them but the but a very high percentage are killed on that first, second, maybe third time. And after that, if I don't, if I don't get them after that third time, and it's, it's just probably not going to happen for me, at least in that spot. 
Um, you know, and then when I go out of state, you know, I, it just depends. Like I, I, I go to Kentucky sometimes early season because it sets up great for glassing bean fields. You know, I mean, it's, I, I look for those, those, um, lush green bean fields and I glass before the opener. And I mean, Kentucky's a great big buck state and relatively low bow hunting pressure compared to what I'm used to. And there's some nice deer there. I mean, the deer I killed this year, I'm sure is a three and a half year old buck. He's like a hundred and 125 inch 10 point. Uh, you know, he, he's not a giant, but I was really happy to take him. He is a beautiful deer. Um, but I go down there because it sets up great for early season hunting. Um, and, and, uh, maybe some of the other areas I hunt, you know, aren't so great for early. And then when I go on the, you know, when I hunt the rut, you know, I'm going to areas that are good during the rut. Um, so it, it, I try to, like I said, like I said, I try to plan out my whole season with timing it when it's most optimal. And then going off of that, um, if I do kind of start keying in on an individual buck, like around home, I try to learn where they are certain times of the year, not necessarily the property. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on the property or two, the properties they use and, and when they're good, but certain bucks tend to use certain areas during certain times of the year. So if I do have the opportunity to, and I'm fortunate enough to, to have a buck that I've hunted for a year or two or three, I really start to figure that out where they are early season. Can I get access to it where they are during the rut? You know, do I, do I have permission, you know, are they, you know, on this piece of public on late season, it just, you know, I try to find out those pieces of the puzzle and it might be a situation where, you know, I only have access to somewhere where this buck is active during a small window um, of the year. And that's when I hunt him. That happened a few years ago. I shot a uh, hundred, it was about 160 inch nine point here in Michigan, beautiful deer. And, um, it was the trail camera, uh, data and observation has shown I had a very short window on this area I could hunt in, um, late October, like right around that 24th, 25th, 26th, three years in a row. I either saw him or had pictures of him in daylight, not really any before and, uh, not really after until around Christmas. So I didn't hunt that property at all. Um, until that October 25th time frame, And so I, I had a picture of him two years prior on the 24th, um, a picture on the 26th that same year. The following year, I had several pictures of him between the 24th and 26th. And then the third year, I killed him on the 25th. And he was just in that area for whatever reason during that time frame, And then during the rut, nowhere to be found nowhere to be found. I had no idea where he went during the rut, but during the, the pre-rut late October, that's where he was. So, I mean, as you can tell, like it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of scouting um, and experience to kind of figure, you know, these areas out and kind of get a, you know, I guess a, a compile like a, a bunch of these spots and information. But um, when you do that, when you get enough of this information, you can, almost plan a whole season ahead of time, you know, and there's, yeah, I'm, I, I, a lot of my season is, you know, tentatively, you know, flexibly planned out of, you know, where I'm going to be going after this deer here, there, then, um, you know, hunting this area during this time. 
but I'm also very flexible and I also get opportunities that deer kind of on the fly that show up or you observe, you know, you know, different opportunities pop up during the year that you have to capitalize on. But that's kind of my strategy, um, with around home and when I travel, um, you know, and then every, every year I try to throw in some new stuff. That's just, I'm not familiar with that's challenging and just try to figure it out on the fly because that's important to me too, is just to grow as a hunter and just to kind of have those new experiences, you know? Yeah, no, it it's interesting because like, I feel as you describe things, I'm doing some of them. I know Chase is doing some of them. I, I'm, I'm not doing them very well, honestly. Like I, you know, listening to my gut last year, it cost me a good opportunity on a deer and this year I'm finding I'm hunting the same spots too often and I'm at that like third and fourth spot and actually Chase told me today he's like dude it's time to change it up you're not seeing what you're supposed to there you put a bunch of ground sand in there it's time to you know move on to a different spot but you know I think the thing that you said that resonates the most with me is is leaving the trail cameras there all season long I uh I actually did that this year and it was amazing to watch the progression of this swamp basically the whole premise of it was we have this really deep access in Florida is very, very hard to uh, avoid everyone around here. You know, there's a road going to every patch of, of woods on all four sides, basically. So you can't really get away from people. It's very hard. And we found this swamp that I'd, I'd say is maybe five, 600 yards from the nearest path. And for most of the paths, it's probably closer to a thousand yards and it just looks impenetrable. And a buddy and I went in there and we hung a trail camera on a, on a little natural like watering hole in the middle of the swamp and had some deer sign there. Nothing crazy. Um, and we hung the camera and I left it there from October 10th when the piece of property, right before the piece of property opened all the way up until December 18th when that little unit shut down and you had does come by for you know all daylight hours and then as the season progressed all of a sudden you started to see bucks start to use the area but it wasn't quite the rut yet but they were just starting to move and you know establish that pattern and then after that you started to see early chasing i got bucks of uh, pictures of, of two deer fighting early on and then you see the bigger bucks start to come in and claim the does and then the smaller bucks move back in it was just really cool to get like to get that educational component of that piece because now I've got a pretty good timestamp of when those bucks started showing up during daylight hours. And the best part about it was I didn't get a single photo of another hunter. So the, yeah. the, the whole thing played out perfectly. Yeah. Um, that's great. Now. So, so now you have, uh, you know, a tentative game plan of when that area is going to be, uh, optimal to hunt. Right. So right. imagine if you had a same spot like that for early season, you know, mid-October, late October, you know, November, late season. And they could be all, they could be all different areas, miles and hours apart. But if you had something like that that took you along the whole season, you'd probably have a lot of success, I'd imagine. That's, that's the kind of homework and information that I try to get. Okay. Um, so, so that it's a, a whole season of very optimal timing, very high percentage sits um if i don't think it's a high percentage sit if i don't think that i'm going in there and going to kill something i most likely will scout or sit an observation stand i don't do I, i'm not one to just kind of eh, i don't know i'm going to sit in here i'm going to i'm going to bust into this this area and, and just sit it out and see what happens and i don't really know you know i like i don't like to sit and hope i want to i want to know that the timing is good that the the wind is right 
that my access is good and that there's the deer I want is in the area or that I'm in an area that is uh, tends to be good during that time frame. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just you start to archive all of this in your head for the different pieces of property and just basically you apply that I'm going to call it a gut matrix cuz that's kind of what you've got is you've just got like this 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 feeling of when you should go in and when you shouldn't and you just apply it after you've acquired and lined up the information, right? Yeah, some of it is a feeling like now like I I I do trust my gut. I I do act a lot on just what I just what I call instinct or I guess my gut feeling. But a lot of this is just historical data. It's like literally, you know, the the property has taught me when to hunt it. Or this area of this swamp has taught me when to hunt it. This river bottom has taught me through years and years and years of experience, observation, trail cameras, hunting it, you know, during the wrong time. It's taught me when I need to be there and when I shouldn't. And then um, the same with certain deer if i if i'm lucky enough to have a deer to chase at four and five years old a lot of times i have at least a little bit of history with it it's not like i have like food plots and they've been coming in and i've been watching them and getting them to four <laughs> you know and then and then shooting them but you know i get little pieces from him i get little pieces i get a track here i get his rubs that i believe are his over here i get a trail cam picture of him over here then i then I get this burst of pictures and sightings of him in this area in late October. And then I find his sheds over here. And, and, and then, you know, you start to you build these pieces, uh, like find these pieces of the puzzle. And then it's like, okay, you know, my best chance, if I want to kill this buck, my best chance is to hunt him right here or in this area during this time frame. And that's what I'll do. I just stay real disciplined with it. I won't push him. I won't go in there until the timing's right. If I have access or I know where he's at early season, I'll absolutely hunting him during that time. I love going after individual deer early in mid-October. That's my favorite time to go after an individual deer up until late October, somewhere in that time frame. During the rut, I do not like hunting after individual deer. I just do not. They're just too random and you know, I just never know quite where they're at, but if I can get a bead on them and I have access to where they're at early through late October, and I can usually get a crack at them. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's become fairly, fairly regular that I can at least get an encounter. You know, I'm, I'm getting pretty dialed in with that, that time frame, And, and that's the time frame I like, cause a lot of guys struggle with that time frame. Yeah, yeah I can see that. That's true. I mean, I've been working on that same thing, Walt. I mean, you can attest to that for yep. a real hardcore this year uh, in trying to, like you said, stay out of the spots <laughs> when they're not good. I mean, if you've been hunting an area, because, I mean, there's one area I've been hunting for, uh, this is going on my 12th or 13th year that I've been hunting there, and it took me forever to kind of realize, like, okay, you're you're not getting it done during this time. You know when these uh, cause it's, this place is more of like, it's like a doe haven. I mean, there's just loads and loads and loads and loads of does in this area. And like you said, you mentioned that one area where, yeah, you'll see some one and a half year old bucks some two and a half year old bucks, but you're never seeing the mature bucks or even catching them on camera. And you're kind of just going in. It's kind of like a, a hope and a wish and a prayer that maybe something will come in. And I kind of have the rut, I know, kind of dialed into that area. It always seems to kind of kick off 
mid-October because Florida, you can't go by any rules of when the rut actually is because it's different per county or even across the street it can be different uh, in Florida. So I finally was like, okay, don't go in it during this time or use this time for scouting. <laughs> Just get way back, <laughs> scout, and come up with a game plan for when you have, like you said, this historical data of when your big bucks show up. And I was, I've been chasing this one buck for a couple of years in this other spot. And I had had some, I just had pictures of them the year before. So I was kind of going off uh, pictures of them the year before. And sure enough, I went in that day and he came out. Uh, I had a mishap happen. I didn't, I didn't end up killing him. Um, he was this giant, probably 130 class, eight point. I mean, he blew up from the year before, but I know it was the same deer. But I, I went back to that point and I was like, okay, you have a trail camera picture of this deer on November 3rd in this spot. <laughs> you had an encounter with him the very next, the first encounter I'd ever had with him other than I walked up on him the year before in an entirely different spot of the property. And then he comes in and I get a chance at him on November 3rd, <laughs> the very next year. So I can be like, okay, well now I know that I've kind of got that dialed in and I don't even really even need to go into that area <laughs> knowing that now. <laughs> Um, other than maybe having a trail camera running or something like that. Uh, but it, it's kind of opened my eyes. And a lot of times, Florida deer are really hard to pattern. <laughs> it seems like I've been trying, like I said, for the last 13, 14 years of getting a pattern on deer. And you may, there's a lot of times where you get like one trail camera pick of the deer. And then that's it. Like they never show back up again. Um, and it could have been just because there were so many does and he was in after a doe. Uh, that time or whatnot but I finally kind of got a, a few deer on this one property that I'm kind of getting dialed in on okay it's like okay he's on this side of the property during this time these are when he's most daylight active okay these are the times that you need to be in there not fooling around uh, the rest of the season and I've kind of done a little bit of things where I'm like okay well I'm going to get quota hunts in these areas where I, I am more likely to see uh, a mature deer because the rut's different over there. Like it, it could be like a late September rut in that area. So I'll try to draw those quota hunts to keep me out of the areas that I know I'm not going to be productive anyways. And it paid off this year. Um, I went to a quota area and got on a buck that was behind a doe. And, uh, and I found his area, went in the next day, killed him. <laughs> uh, first hour. So, <laughs> Um, and that doesn't really happen a lot, but I was never really using that style before until I was like, okay, let's try to change something up and try to l learn from all the mistakes that you've made in the past and, and see how that kind of pans out. And it's panned out for me this year. So, yeah, what you said before, you know, that bucket, you know, showing up the third and the fourth and it's crazy. Um, it's crazy how accurate that can be sometimes and i'm not saying every deer is like that but the more i observe it and the more i cross reference sightings and trail cam pictures um and i'm just looking at some of the deer like i'm sitting in my living room now and i'm just looking at some of the deer on the wall like there's there's several that i have killed that way that you know it's like a maybe a, a a two to five day window where they were in a certain area the year before and that's when I killed them the following year um and I don't know what it is you know I think they have they they all have their their spots they like to be early season and I think you know they tend as long as they don't get killed there I tend I think they tend to just stay there um for that right. time of year and then you know it's 
as does start to come into, you know, estrus and they, they kind of leave those areas because usually it's, you know, an early season spot where a buck lives is not where they spend during the rut. Um, there's usually some sort of shift. It might, could be huge. It could be small, but they usually shift somewhat. And then they go to the same areas where they spend kind of the pre-rut and they mark their territory, doing a lot of rubbing and scraping. And then often where they're actually breeding those first, you know, two weeks of November here in the Midwest, it could be a, a whole nother area. You know, it could yeah. be, it could be a mile to the North or, you know, two miles, three miles to the West. And, and it's, it's just crazy how year to year I get them in the same small areas in that, that short little window. And I, you know, I've really come to come to realize and see like these little short patterns, you know, if you can, if you can capitalize on these little short patterns that these, these deer and these properties, properties or these areas show you, you know, and they, they, they show it to you if you're observant and if you're diligent with your scouting and, you know, don't just, don't just flip through your cameras, you know, your trail cam pictures and, you know, looking for the big racks, you know, like analyze the pictures. And when you look at them, look at the dates and, and look at what you, when you had that deer on the year before, if, if you did, or when you do get one, um, you know, if you get a, a random big buck, you know, or a good three-year-old or something, and it's, you know, that early November timeframe or something, you know, keep that in the back of your mind coming into the next year. Like, Hey, this deer was here. I've seen it time and time and time again. There's a, a very often they show up in that same area during that same time frame, so you guys gotta kind of be ready to capitalize on that and, and, and try to try to stockpile a lot of those areas. And if you if you can learn that about those individual deer, and I imagine you know where you guys are at, that's you know Midwest hunting is 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 easier compared to a lot of parts of the country, no doubt about it. Like we you know, there's the deer are more visible. Um, their travel patterns are often more funneled. You know, the food sources are mostly a lot of times kind of open. Um, trail cameras is strategy is, is pretty straightforward. So it's, it's a little easier here, but I got to think that that, that those patterns that they keep in year to year and, and where they use, utilize their season and spend their time you know, it's kind of universal, you know, I, I really think that's something that if guys started keying on, on that a little more, that that would really help them, you know, help them with their success. No, for sure. You know, I, I think I told Chase this early on in the season. Um, you know, I realized this year I didn't scout enough, you know, like that's just, that's just the, the plain reality to it. And with Florida, I feel like every year I learn that's more and more paramount because you're right. These properties have those little nuanced trends and you find them. Chase has proven that on his private land uh, a lot. I mean, he's got these deer, uh, and I don't say private land to be like disparaging or anything like that. That's just, he happens to be able to monitor a real um, like closed environment and Mm -hmm. and it shows certain things really, really predictably. And I think the biggest challenge here is just the, the lack of, open areas right like there are so many areas that are that are just thick and it's nothing but pine trees or there's there's no fields and it's it's a lot of work finding where those areas are that hold that unique moment and i think that's where trail cameras are really going to come in for me and maybe maybe anybody else hunting environments like this just because i need i need eyes in a bunch of different places where i can let those cameras soak and then analyze that like you're saying it seems to really make a whole lot of sense to 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 be taking that approach yeah, it's a great tool. 
but I always caution guys. Like I see a lot of guys now, especially kind of the younger guys, they rely on trail cameras for everything. Um, and now with like cell cameras coming out, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. Um, they've certainly, they've changed the game. Um, but I, I encourage guys to not trail cameras miss a lot. They do miss a lot. I love the strategy of letting them sit out and soak. Um, I love the strategy of putting them in an area that's not sensitive and checking them more often, like on maybe like on a field edge or something. There's certain spots where I, you know, I, I'll check them often um, and just wait for that buck to, to show up on that food source. And then I know, because I've done my scouting, I know where to hunt him further back in the cover. So it's in a, it's the trail cameras in a spot where I can, you know, check frequently because it's away from their bedding. It's in an area where, you know, they might interact humans, interact with humans or farmers often. But if I get a picture of them, you know, eight, nine o'clock after dark or something, that's cool. I'm that's, that was the goal because now I know he's in the area and I know where I can hunt him because I've scouted the area and I know where, know where the good bedding areas and that sort of thing. But don't, don't rely on trail cameras too much. Not saying you guys do, but I've just kind of cautioned that to, to people. Like I, I see it all the time. Like guys are just buying like dozens and dozens of cameras and it's just, they're just basically hunting off the cameras and spending so much time checking that. And, now it's to the point where guys are just kind of sitting on their butt waiting for their phone to ping and you know it's like i mean it's like oh good lord you know i mean um you know there still has to be some woodsmanship in it and i think i think if you can kind of i think if you can use you know a mix of technology and a mix of woodsmanship you know i think that's probably you know i, th- I think that's probably the best um best mix to use you know what i mean you just you gotta you gotta still have good old-fashioned woodsmanship sometimes and the trail cameras just you know a lot of times just miss a lot of it you know it's just a really a small little snippet of what's really going on right and if you rely on the the trail camera entirely it's like the wind may never be right for that spot you know what i mean right it it may be something where you're like well i'm never i'm not going in there because the wind's not right or this but the deer could have been coming from a totally different way. And if you just sat that observation sit before you may have found that, or you could have sat off of it at, on a different wind direction. And maybe you kill the deer, uh, because you actually went in there as opposed to not going in there because you never thought the wind was right. So, uh, I definitely agree with that. Well, Andy, I want to be sensitive to your time. So <laughs> I, I've got one parting question for you, unless Chase has got a question that, uh, we haven't worked through yet. Yeah, shoot. Uh, Go for it. I got so many questions to ask. We'd be here for we'd be here all night. So uh, <laughs> maybe we can convince ahead. Andy to come back on a, a second time. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude. Andy, in all seriousness, I like to ask this question because, especially with with it being a spontaneous question, you don't have any. You know, you didn't know this question was coming. It really reveals what people think. Uh, and, and really reflect on a lot. And that is if you could go back and tell your 18 year old self, this one piece of advice to change your hunting path, to change the outcome of maybe per other hunts that happened or, or just shorten the learning curve. What singular piece of advice would you give 18 year old Andy? Um, you know, I, I probably would say don't get caught up too much in the big buck craze. Um, I, 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 
it was it was weird my second year of hunting i killed a really big michigan buck um and it kind of set me down that path of bigger deer because when people saw it they were like oh my gosh you know you'll never kill another one this size and it just it felt great you know that everybody was talking about this buck and it was a rare deer and um you know it it kind of that that put me down a path of you know of going after big deer and i i can't say i regret that but i see i see um some friends and people I know that, uh, you know, come from a strong, like hunting family, uh, a, a strong culture of hunting. And, um, you know, they go out and they don't really worry about big racks. They go out and they spend time with their family and they fill the freezer. And I see some of their pictures and they got, they got bigger smiles than I do, you know, than you know, <laughs> with my giant, you know, my big giant that I think is so cool. You know, and this guy's holding a, a little forky up in northern Michigan, and he's got he's smiling ear to ear. So I guess what I would just tell myself, and and I see other guys too, like some of those guys are like, you know, they're shooting, a, you know, maybe a, a six point or a small eight, and they're like, oh man, he's not quite what I wanted or or whatever. You know, hunting is different to everybody, and um, it's easy to kind of feel like you're maybe less than or something if you're not putting a big buck on the wall every year you know nowadays it's such so glorified but just remember i guess hunting is different to everybody and you know i don't think for everybody it needs to be about big bucks like uh, you know those i sometimes get jealous of those those families that it's you know it's the son and the dad and the grandfather and the aunt and the uncle and they go up and they have a good old-fashioned deer camp and they put some deer down they you know they have a good time and you know, I've never done that. I've never had anything like that in my life. Like I am pretty much loner on my road, my, uh, my road trips. Um, if maybe hunt with one other guy. Um, and that's kind of just been my style, but I see that sometimes and I'm like, man, that would be cool. You know, there's just no pressure there. It's just, just having fun hunting. So I guess my advice would be, you know, find out what makes you happy with hunting and just stick with that and screw what anybody else says and uh you know just do what do what you want <laughs> hunting, hunting can be different for every person I, I love that that's a great message man so well with that my friend if you hang on one second i'm going to close this out but i want to chat with you afterwards hey well why so, don't the uh tell everybody where they can find them if they'd like to that would make sense too wouldn't it yeah yeah, Andy. that that sounds like the hostly thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's not much out there. I don't have a you know I don't have a video a YouTube channel or anything like that. Um, I do have an Instagram, um, but you know I don't take it too serious. I I post some hunting stories on there and some personal pictures once in a while, but um, I'm not even that active on that. So um, there's <laughs> okay. a few podcasts out there that I've been on and watch Wired to Hunt, but um, my Instagram is Bowhunting Dad. If you want to follow me, go ahead. Don't get your hopes up too high. But uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to make a show or anything like that. It's just you know, I like hunting, and I like talking with guys that are excited about hunting and hardcore, and just surrounding myself with with those types of guys. So that's about it. 
Guys, I have thoroughly enjoyed this time. I would have let the clock run on even further, but it's pretty late when we're recording this, and I know that Andy's pretty busy. So maybe maybe what we, we teased earlier, maybe we can convince him to come on for part two one day and talk about scouting or some other uh, topic that you guys pick. But until next time, take Andy's advice and get out there and do some scouting and enjoy the great outdoors.